This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. In this episode, Dr. Alan Tushudin, a measured optimist on South Africa. Good Governance Africa has got big ambitions. Its intention is to set up centers across the continent to monitor governance by using a carrot-and-stick approach, shouting out malfeasance, praising role models. It's a lofty goal, but since opening its first center in Johannesburg in 2012, the independent non-profit has made huge strides. This year, it opened its fourth office in Harare, with the others in Accra and Lagos. GGA based its opinions on facts. That makes it an invaluable source for those wanting to understand the backstory of a continent and, more specifically, South Africa. This week, I was invited to a briefing for its board members and contributors at the Institute of Directors in London. Afterwards, I caught up with the Executive Director. As per usual, I started by asking my guest to introduce himself. It's uh, Alain Chudin here from Good Governance Africa. Alain, I've just uh, sat in a presentation for a couple of hours uh, where you were talking here in London about the work that you're doing on the African continent. It's a lot of long-term stuff. We have a lot of work to do. We have to start somewhere, and so we've prioritized starting on the ground with respect to many of our implementations. So working in the, in the worst governed municipalities or targeting specific segments of the population, so for example youth in marginalized areas, because we feel that they, they need disproportionate attention if we are to actually talk about a level playing field moving forward. And so this is why we feel that it's, it's important to be visible and present uh, in, in tangible contexts. More interesting, though, is the facts. You've, you've got a huge volume of facts on Africa. You uh, support uh, researchers who write books, one on the land question, one on extremism in, in Africa. How does that shape your thinking? Look, uh, you know, we're a, an independent, not-for-profit organization. We're not, we're not partisan, but we believe firmly uh, that knowledge is power, and we don't want to move along the lines of speculation and opinion. We'd rather promote fact-based knowledge and evidence-based learning. So, in order How do you to get those facts, though? So how we get those facts is we actually engage in primary research ourselves. So we put boots on the ground. Uh, I'm a career academic and a professional researcher, so together with our programs team, and in partnerships and collaborations with other organizations and universities, we get out there, we put boots on the ground, we engage in direct field research, whether it's through surveys or questionnaires or desk-bound research, and we use the information that we encounter um, to come up with knowledge, to not only generate the knowledge, but then to disseminate it as broadly as possible. And an example of that was you did a survey of all the municipalities in South Africa and then proceeded very politically incorrectly to rank them. Yes, so we, we, we wanted to have a look at the state of affairs with respect to governance in South Africa. We initially undertook a national study and we found that there was a lot of dissatisfaction among South African citizens based on a nationally representative survey so taking that situation in mind, we then decided to drill down to the local and metropolitan municipal level 
We used publicly available data to do that from the National Treasury, from the Auditor General's report, Stats South Africa. And based on that, we compiled the league tables. Again, the idea there is, you know, not to have a go specifically at certain political parties, but rather using this ranking system to see how we could get municipalities to pick up the reins and perhaps compete against one another to improve their standings over time, to to attract investment, to up the stakes, to kind of you know, pressurize one another to just do a little better. So it's, it's, it's designed mainly as a tool to improve governance. We had a really good piece on business this last week on the municipality of Hoodspret. It was written by the Chamber of Commerce of Hoodspret, and the day we published it, the community in Hoodspret actually started marching against the 31-year-old former waitress who's now the mayor and is just dispensing largesse uh, in a way that, that, uh, that defies any logic. That doesn't seem to be an isolated example. That does seem to be a case where the people are now really getting unhappy in rural and in, in municipal, municipal areas. So I think that people's eyes are, are wide open. I think initially when there may have been cater deployment from various sectors, people might have been too polite or perhaps too intimidated or afraid to speak. But with the upswing of social media, with the increasing availability of data and information, people are, are, are coming out and uh, are out there saying that they've had enough of this. They've had enough of being taken for granted. They've had enough of false promises. They've had enough of being abused. And um, I think that the time is ripe from a, from a purely democratic perspective for people to do that. We tend to forget in South Africa about the bad old days where across society people were united and came together in order to advance democracy. And it's great that civil society is waking up again in South Africa and standing up to, to lobby for, for our rights. The bad old days is reflected in the 20 worst municipalities in the country, those right at the bottom of, of the pile, who, when you overlay the old National Party homelands, are without exception within those areas. That tells us something that must have been very deep in that, in, in that period of the history. Yes, look, so we, we, we uh, undertook those rankings in 2016, so they're not necessarily reflective of where we are so now. So Hoodspread might actually get into the bottom 20. Now. One never knows. I'm not going to uh, comment on that one. But uh, the fact of the matter remains that the, the discrepancy between the high performers and the low performers does, does certainly have a historical basis to it. And this is not to say that there isn't change in former homeland areas. But if one thinks about it, the magnitude of the change has to be so much greater because of the intentional suppression of human development in those areas. So our intention was never to say that, um, you know, these are areas that have just been left destitute in a democratic South Africa. They are areas that need a lot more tender, loving care. And in certain instances, we are not seeing that. That hasn't actually happened. Uh, what we're trying to do is, in, at least according to the 2016 data, directly intervene ourselves, work with the local authorities, work with civil society, work with our partners 
to exercise some sort of transformative effect on the worst of the um, performing municipalities in South Africa to show that perhaps that that has been left out in the cold could be a, a beacon of light moving forward. Well, tell us about the bottom of the pile, the birthplace of O.R. Tambo, the birthplace of Winnie Madikizela Mandela. Yes, so uh, in Kantolo village, you know, within the greater local municipality of Mbizana, that houses Bizana, the biggest town in the municipality, is uh, an excellent case in point. And it came last on, of it, how it, many it, municipalities? It came, uh, it came last out of 234 municipalities. And uh, we decided that because it was lowest on the rankings, but also because 2017 was Oliver Tambo's centenary year, that we would do something demonstrative, appreci- uh, you know, appreciative of his legacy to try and ensure peace and prosperity for all. So we decided to take our first scoping exercise down in Mbizana after our results broke. So we went down there in early 2017, looked around, felt that we wanted to tap the voice of the citizens. So we engaged in a saturation survey, surveying a 1,000 citizens along a 30-kilometer tract of land from Oliver Tambo's birth village in Kantolo all the way through from deep rural to rural, to suburban, peri-urban, and urban um, citizens of Mbizana municipality. We also interviewed over 100 micro-enterprise owners and, you know, take seriously their views on governance. And, and what, did you, what conclusions did you come up with? Because given that we often find the solutions by looking at what we shouldn't be doing. Yes, so we found very high levels of unemployment, we found that there was great concern amongst the citizens, those thousand citizens along that 30-odd kilometre tract of road, about jobs. When we asked people to rank in order of priority, their top priority, their second priority, and their, their third most important priority, jobs came out top. The fact that people are crying out for employment speaks volumes. Uh, other factors that came out in terms of people's own, own reporting, safety and security, education, um, but what caused water it? and sanitation. What, what puts it so far down the, the, the pile? It's, Why it's, is it that, it's, that jobs it's are just the, not existing? It's the aggregation of factors across the board, and historicity factors into this as well in a big way. Historicity? So the fact that we're looking at a, at a very depressed area socioeconomically historically and intentionally by design. There wasn't investment as there would have been in the predominantly white areas. And how do you fix it? How you fix it is by attracting investment. We coined the phrase local capital flight because what we observed during our work there is that a lot of people make their money in Bazana, but it flows over the Mtwamvuma River and goes into another province. Uh, and so the money that's being made in Mbizana is not staying in Mbizana to be spent there. Why? Why does it go into another province? Because many of the people who operate the businesses are resident across the river in the province of KwaZulu-Natal, where there are better facilities, where there's better infrastructure, where it's former, it's you know, uh, a former apartheid stomping ground, if you like, but, the but coastal area of Port Edward. And aren't, we, aren't we looking at something in a microcosm here, which is a, 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 a macro problem for South Africa, where a lot of capital is being exported pretty much 
every previously advantaged, if you like, South African is looking to find uh, a, a escape hatch for their capital. We see here in London how much money is leaving, how many people, how, what skills are leaving the country. Isn't there a big message in uh, what Mbazana is teaching us? Look, I think um, in, in Mbazana, the fact of the matter that is that it's, uh, it's, it's previously disadvantaged South Africans who are moving their own money across provincial borders. I can't really speak about the international capital flight, but I think at the local level what it, it sure is a sign of is a lack of confidence of the area where one either resides or does business. And so rather than invest the money and put it back into Mbazana, for whatever reason, the money is going to another location because the perception is that it can be better used or spent or invested there. One of the strategies to counter this on our part is to work together with uh, the private sector, work with other civil society organizations, and work with the municipal manager and the local government of Mbazana to try and find ways to create incentives and opportunities for people to invest so that rather than getting, you know, rather than seeing money flying out, we see money coming in. Investable. Make it investable as one needs, as Sir Ramaphosa is trying to do with South Africa. But just maybe to, to just dwell briefly on that. Yes. The change uh, under a Ramaphosa regime to uh, the Zuma regime as far as it affects a company like you or, uh, sorry, an NG, a non-profit non organization like yours, which is looking to get the facts, which is wanting to expose them. Do you see that impacting your work at all? Look, I think uh, it's a breath of fresh air for us to have a change uh, at the top. I do think that President Ramaphosa uh, is being held to a rather unfair and unrealistic level of expectation. You know, this is as a consequence of the Ramaphoria that everyone has spoken about, but he isn't the silver bullet. We can't expect one person to hold in their person the solution to a, a decade of rot. Um, and I think that things are still very highly contested within that political space. I think compromises are having to be made. I think that there are a range of checks and balances that we are seeing play out right now that is in part going to hamstring us and in part might also free up the blockages. Did you feel any impact? You talk about 10 years of rot, because if you're in, in the business of exposing information, uh, one would think that uh, it, it can't always be comfortable when those who have the power don't want it to be exposed. Look, it does place one in a difficult situation, but uh, by virtue of the fact that we're called Good Governance Africa, uh, one of our values is moral courage, and we feel that uh, it's in the interest of the common good to stand up and to not only expose governance where it is bad and where it's rotten, but to celebrate governance where it's good. And so we like to take a balanced approach to what we do and celebrate the gains that have been made. I think the fact that, for example, the governing party in South Africa voted for a progressive leader as opposed to, you know, the, uh, the alternative well, is refreshing. <laughs> narrowly, seat of the pants stuff, you know, under 200 votes out of 6,000. But nevertheless, it was a vote in the right direction. When we started talking, uh, you mentioned that you like 
people who, who, who are exposed to your research to leave cautiously optimistic. Yes. Are you feeling in that way about South Africa? Look, uh, you know, we, we, we get asked to, to gaze into a rather muddy crystal ball from time to time. And if I have to think back to where we were, let's say, this time last year, um, there was a lot of pessimism about the place. There were downgrades everywhere. The internal party politicking within the ANC was on a knife's edge between the traditionalist elements and the reformers within the ANC. Um, there was a rather dejected, downbeat mood about where South Africa was and the fact that we were heading for a, a precipice at a rate of knots. I think what we've seen is, over the, especially over the last six to seven months, I think we've seen a reversal in the trend of sheer disbelief. I think that people are probably slightly at sixes and sevens right now because of this wave of euphoria that came in in, in February with um, Cyril Ramaphosa's election. I do think, though, that there's something to be said for steadying the ship. And I think if one looks at, again, the, the checks and balances and compromises that are being made to do that right now, the fact that for Moody's, for example, the jury's still out, the fact that the question of land expropriation with, with, you know, without compensation is being engaged, uh, the fact that we have certain reforms on the agenda whilst you know, other, other, other aspects have not really been touched, I think we are, we're not in as bad a place as we were. So if we approach this by negation, we're not in as bad a place as we were, and we're in much less of a dangerous place than we were this time last year. Looking forward, I think there's still a lot of work to be done. One of the first recommendations that we made when um, Cyril came in was that he had to flush out the rather unsavory elements within the cabinet, that he had to repopulate key figures within the public service, that he had to make sure that he could work towards establishing credibility within not just government, but within his own party once again. Um, we see that, in part, this has happened. There have been some gains, but there have also been moments of tremendous frustration and disappointment. We still have bureaucratic incompetence in some sectors. We still have literally some of the old crooks and criminals in positions of power. But yet again, we also have shining lights who are now back on the scene and who are trying to clean up the mess. So the jury remains out. There's a, there's, there's a slightly lighter air, though, I'd say. There's a lighter air. There's, a, there's, not a, there's not a heaviness of heart. And I think, you know, the majority of our country's population was feeling that last year. I think at the moment we are watching and waiting and uh, doing so with interest. That was Dr. Elaine Tshuden, the Executive Director of Good Governance Africa. This has been The Rational Perspective. 
Until the next time, cheerio.